Great to be back with you this morning. Last week, uh, Dr. Wayne talked about the, the, the topic of forgiveness, saw the message online, wonderful message, important message for us. He does such a good job, doesn't he? I, uh, I hear so many positive comments about him. His content is great. But, but let me just tell you, my sermons would be twice as good if I had his accent. I, I'm just telling you. I mean, I mean, I'm from the Republic of Texas, and we barely speak English down there. So, you know, this series is the One Another series, and as you've gathered, it's deeply embedded in this concept of human relationships. It's how we do life together. And sometimes these topics are not always easy. And you know when, when the topics come up, you know how important they are. But they're not always easy. Years and years ago, uh, an author by the name of Rudyard Kipling, you probably have heard of him. He's many famous poems and books. He wrote a, he wrote a book that became a classic. Then it became a cartoon. I know last time I was here I talked about cartoons. I don't just watch cartoons. But the cartoon that was made into a popular film several times over, several different ways, was this, this cartoon called The Jungle Book. Here's what's interesting about The Jungle Book, is it is, scholars tell us, it is a somewhat a reflection of his own childhood. While he was not orphaned, he was sent away. He was born in India. He was sent back to England for boarding school. And while he was there, he lived in the home of a family who treated him rather brutally at times. And he felt as though he was this orphan in a jungle called England. And so his imagination ran the circuit as you can, as you can, as you can see. And he created this, this story about all of these relationships and the animals that you find in the cartoon, the jungle book, represent these archetypes of people that he met in his own jungle of England. What was interesting is in the story, here is this, this young boy, Mowgli, who's cast into the forest, and he's taken in by this family of wolves, and he has to befriend the various animals in the animal kingdom in order for him to survive, and in some ways, that's very much like us. I mean, you go to work, if you start putting animal faces to the people you work with, it could become pretty interesting, could it not? I was going to do that about the church today, but I'm like, I don't know you that well. But, but here's this, one of the, the lessons that he learned in there is an important lesson for us, and that is his family is more than blood. Look to your right for a second. Look to your left. That's your brother. That's your sister. That's your family. And guess what? You don't get to choose family. In this sense, God chose your family. And they're sitting right here in the room with us. The problem is, and you know this, is living with family is not always easy. Yes, it has moments of rejoicing and, and joyous times and there's blessing and there's, there's all of these positive things that come with being in a family. But, but truthfully, sometimes living with family 
is very, very tough. And that's why this scripture was written to us. We've already heard it read, but let me just repeat just a small portion of it. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What the Apostle Paul is, is telling the church as he's writing to them is that we have received this calling and we are to live out this calling in a manner that is worthy, to put it in the as simplest terms as possible. Our calling and our character must, co- must, must align together. Our profession of faith and our practice of faith is what makes us worthy of this calling. You see, we are called into union with Christ. But we are also called into union with each other. In fact, the Bible uses two principal metaphors to talk about what we do here today. He uses this metaphor of the body. That we're all a part of the body. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are nose. Some of us are behinds. Look to your left and right, figure out who that is. We're all a part of this body. But the, ed- the other metaphor that, that the Bible uses is the family of God. Now in this day and age in which we live, family is not always what we think it is. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you would identify your family of origin as dysfunctional? Look to your left, look to your right, and say your family is dysfunctional. Because we all have, our families have something wrong. There's no perfect family. If someone says to you they have a perfect family, they're probably not telling you the truth. Or they're oblivious to it. The truth of the matter is it's difficult to live in community with one another. It's difficult for us. It was difficult for those in the scripture. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, Paul wrote this. He says, I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. There was these two ladies. They were having a brouhaha with each other. It got so bad that the apostle Paul, while he was not there, word got back to him. You know it's bad. When word has to travel by ship and camel and courier to get back to you. And so Paul is writing to them. He's basically saying, get along with, get along with one another. Now the Bible doesn't tell us why they were disenchanted with one another. But I have my suspicions. You see, Judea and Syntyche both made the same pie for the church social. And some people liked one and some people liked the other. We don't know why, but they were at odds. If you remember Paul and Barnabas, it tells us in Acts 15, 39, that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. This is Paul. Now, if you know anything about Paul, I could suspect that of Paul. You know, Paul's like, like some of us in the room, we're hard chargers, we're go-getters, we're type A's. We're like, let's get it done, let's get it done now, don't get in my way because I'm going somewhere. But Barnabas, Barnabas was the other side. Barnabas was the, the son of comfort. 
I mean, he was, by all accounts, everyone, uh, scholars believe that he was probably easygoing. He was the counselor type. He was the calm type. So here we have Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement over this young man by the name of John Mark. In fact, it was such a sharp disagreement, they parted company, and they, for all accounts, didn't do ministry together again. Now, we do believe that they came back together in relationship, but they didn't really do ministry together again. So if it happens in the scriptures, it's going to happen with us. Forbearance is tough, but it's part of our calling. You see, in this life, some people act like uh, what, I like, what, what I want to call um, temperamental tornadoes. You ever been around one of those folks? You know, the weather's calm. Everything's cool. It's chill. Somebody says something. The next thing you know, debris everywhere. Confession, I've been one of those. There's another kind of people we have to deal with sometime, and, and excuse the, the expression, but they're, they're what we call verbal vomiters. Man. Confession, been one of those. Some people are bullies. Some people are abusers. Some people are sociopaths. Some are narcissists. Some are manipulators. It's tough. If you, take a, if you just leave all of that aside, we all have different personalities. And we're different. We have different communication patterns. Some of us like it direct and right in your face, and others like it a little bit more genteel, southern, some of, us has, some of us have varying levels of, of EQ, that's an emotional intelligence where you catch social cues about when you should say stuff and when you shouldn't, and some of us are not as, uh, that's not really our strong point in life. Some of us are struggling with sin, and we, we have all of this stuff coming together that just makes life tough. And l- listen, they couldn't do it in the Bible, and it's hard to do it with people we know, but it's even hard with people we love. My wife is my favorite human being. You can't, you, I can't, I cannot love her more than I do right now. I just do not know how it's possible. If I could take all of her pain and suffering and struggle and just throw it on top of me, man, I would do it in a heartbeat. But as much as I love her, She's got a finger, and she knows where the button is. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be very real. There's some nights I want to tell her, "Honey, you better sleep with one eye open. Because daddy ain't happy. And don't get me started on kids. Because I know, I, I know it's illegal to kill them. I know that. But like Bill Crosby, can, when they turn 13, can we just put them in a box and just release them when they're 18? You see what I'm talking about? It's, it's tough. You, you get it? Living with people is tough. Forbearance is tough. But it's part of our calling. Because Jesus said we're supposed to live in unity. We're supposed to walk together in unity because that's 
what the church does. That's pretty important, this old concept of unity. It was important to Jesus. There's a verse in John chapter 17, verses 20. I just want to read a couple of verses here because you need to understand why this is so important. It's not just because the Bible says so, although that should be reason enough, right? But the Bible gives us some reasons, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus is talking a high priestly prayer, and he's kind of getting towards the end of this prayer. And he says, my prayer, this is the prayer of Jesus. This was the prayer of Tim. You could say, well, whatever. But this is the prayer of Jesus. And Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just for the disciples, not just for those that, that he's already met here on earth. But Jesus says, I pray also for those who will believe in me. That's future tense. Here's how I like to look at this verse. Is Jesus in the first century was already praying for me in the 21st century. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. And this is what he's praying. He's not praying that they're going to be healthy or wealthy or wise. He's, saying, he's praying that all of them, them is you, it's me, <coughs> that all of them may be one Father. He wants us to be one. But how one does he want us to be? He tells us, just as you are in me, and I am in you. That's one. That is linked. That is close. That is connected. That is this dynamic spiritual union that defies any earthly definition. And then he goes on to say, may they also be in us, so it's not just union with each other, but it's union with the Father. And notice this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, simplistically put, the way we relate as a body will show the world what's real about Jesus. In fact, John said it another way in verse 1335 of his, of his epistle, of his, of his gospel. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They're going to know who's Christian by the way we love one another. Are we loving each other well, are we doing that? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us some clues on how we go from here. And I, I want to give you just a look at verse 2 in, in, this, in this scripture, in the Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He didn't say be a bear with one another. He says, Bearing with one another. So there, there, there's these four graces that are wrapped in love. And what Paul is saying is, is if these four graces can mark your life, this will, and, and it's surrounded by love, then you can have this unity one for another. One of those graces is humility. What is humility? It's being, literally it means being low-minded, not high-minded. When, when we talk about being low-minded, it means we're not prideful. 
that we don't have to have the praise and we, we don't have to be noticed, that we're not seeking the spotlight, that, that other people can have their moment and we're just as happy when they have their moment as when we have ours. Because some of the conflict we face in life is because we're wrestling for the spotlight. We're saying, look at me, look at what I did. I'm so awesome. Yay me. That's what we're looking for sometimes. But the Bible says if we can, if we can be humble, we can live that way with one another, then we have this chance to, to be in unity. It also talks about this, this characteristic of gentleness, this character quality. Gentleness simply means that, that, that we are considerate of others, that, that we have this, this strength, but it's under control. Another word that the Bible sometimes uses for gentleness is meekness. But don't confuse meekness with weakness. It's not. Someone who is, who is gentle understands that though they have the power and the strength, the IQ, whatever it may be, to overcome someone else in this moment, this argument, this situation, that while they have that strength to do it, they keep it under control. It's strength under control. And patience. Patience is never giving up on each other. It means sticking it out. It means being willing to deal with people in a deliberate and continuous way. The King James Version uses, when it talks about patience, it, it talks about patience suffereth long. And when you have patience, sometimes you do suffer for a long time. That's what patience is. That's, that's, that's what it does that we stick in this relationship. We were, uh, we, just before uh, service started, uh, we were all in the, the green room as, as we tend to do. And I, we, church broke out in the green room before it ever got out here. We were having this conversation about forbearance. And they, kinda, they were kind of wanting the executive summary of where I was going this morning. We were talking about that. And, 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 and one, of the, one of the persons was asking the question, when do we give up on other people? Is, is it when we have a deep philosophical divide? Is it when they're in sin? Is it when, when do we do that? If they don't believe like us, all those kind of things. And my, question, my, my answer to him and them was a question. So when did Jesus give up on people? The only time in scriptures that I can see, other than, other than Satan, of course, I don't put him in the people category. The only time I think Jesus got really close was with the Pharisees. Those were the righteous people who claimed to, to follow the law in this way, but were really hypocritical. Those were the people who upset Jesus most, but even then, they had opportunity to turn. So that's patience. And the other quality that, that Paul lists here is what he calls forbearance. Forbearance, it's a, it's a strange word. We don't use it very often. You probably haven't said the word forbearance in the last year until today. But it means putting up with the faults and idiosyncrasies of others, knowing that we have our own. You see that? We have faults. Surprise, you have faults too. You have idiosyncrasies. You, 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 just, you just do weird stuff. And here's the thing, people know you do weird stuff. 
But they do weird stuff too. And so we don't call each other out on all of that. I mean, there's just, it, we've got to learn to live together. We've got to have this self-restraint when others do stupid stuff. So how do we do that? One of the things I love about the scriptures is it, it gives us clues on how to do these things. It's not just this concept, but it's, it's how we can actually walk and practice these kinds of things. So let me just give you a few, uh, what we might call forebear essentials to help you deal with, uh, to help you live in community and forbear with one another. The first one comes from uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The first essential is what I call attentive listening. We have to be quick to listen. Now, here's, a, here's what attentive listening is about. Attentive listening is not just listening to the words that someone is saying. Anybody could, could stop long enough and do that. What we're talking about is when we live, when we practice this, this idea of listening behind the words. Listening behind the words. Most of the time when you're talking to someone and they're telling you something Maybe it's a critique, or maybe it's a problem that they're having. There is more than the words at work in that conversation. And if you can pause and listen, and be attentive to what they're saying, the, the emotion that comes with it, the, there's some history behind it. Most of the time I have found, when I'm dealing in conflict with other persons in relationship, most of the time their words are only a symptom of something that lies much deeper. And if I will not let myself get out of control and I can listen behind the words, then I get the real story. And usually here's what I find. is When I get that real story, I have a lot of sympathy for them. In fact, a lot of times I say, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. So if you want to forbear with others, that family member, that person at work, that person at church, attentive listening. Second thing is kind speech. Notice that verse says, not only are we quick to listen, but we're slow, <coughs> we're slow to speak. Not slow of speech. Some people say of us Southerners, you know, we, we may be slow, but we're not stupid. But slow to speak. Pause. You're listening attentively. You're hearing. And then you're choosing your words carefully. Not the words that first rush to your mind because, you know, there's those words. And then there's the other words that you really should say. Be slow to speak. And when, when they bring something out, and even if it feels like an accusation, even if it feels threatening, if you can pause long enough and then speak words slowly to them that, that, that are helpful, you can diffuse a situation. In fact, Proverbs 15.1, you know it well, a gentle answer deflects wrath. But harsh words make tempers flare. Be slow to speak. Essential number three is what, I'm, is what I'm calling emotional control. The Bible says be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You've got to control yourself in situations like this, and you're going to have them. Some of you are going to go home today and have them today. And some of you are going to be thinking, where are my sermon notes? Where are my sermon notes? 
we have to control ourselves. We have to control our anger. Now, now sometimes people say things to us that, that really are insulting, that really are hurtful. Sometimes they do it intentionally. But I've learned, as you know as well, that hurting people hurt. So they're trying to hurt you because they're hurting. If you can listen to the hurt in their life and realize that it's probably not really about you or all about you, then you can control your emotions. And there's an opportunity for the conversation to go to that next level where you can resolve whatever is taking place. The Bible says, I love this proverb as well, it's 1632, it says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Emotional control is one of the most valuable assets you can have in this experience we call humanity. Essential number four is accept boundaries. Proverbs 25, 17 says this, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Isn't that a cool proverb? What it means is have a boundary. Know where you end and someone else begins. See, some families have difficulties because there's no boundaries. It's called an enmeshed family. That means everybody's just living in the, in the middle of all of this and there's no, there, there's no individuation of self. There's, there's no me. It's, it's, me is no longer me. Me is we. That's, that's, being live, that's living in an enmeshed family and what you feel, I must feel because we are enmeshed together. Sometimes churches get that way. Organizations get that way. Bible studies can get that way. Sometimes work groups or teams get that way. We get so enmeshed that we forget that we have boundaries. I am me, and you are you. And when you understand that, then you can let you, you, you can let others be themselves in front of you. And sometimes they will bug you, yes, but sometimes they will bless you in ways that are, that are just so amazing, amazing. So accept the boundaries of other persons. And the fifth essential is this, don't judge. I love this, I love this text from uh, the Message Bible. Let, 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 me, let me read it to you. Follow it on the screens. Here's what, here's what he said. Um, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's the whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again. Playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you may be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. So don't judge. Now, this, this verse is, is, is difficult for some people because, and I don't want to get into all of it this morning except to say that, that judgment is when we are always throwing our opinion onto other people's lives. We don't want that. So why would we do that to others? We have to let them be them and you be you. And when they are not measuring up to God's standard... While we can go to them in brotherly love, and we should, while we should go try to rescue the one from their sin, we should, but we should do so with, with loving grace. We should go to them and try to help them in a, in a spirit of, of gentleness and humility, knowing that, that we ourselves have probably been in the same place. But at the end of the day, all we can do is maybe help them with a message of grace and love, but it's God who does the work. 
The problem with people who judge is we want to take the we want to take Jesus' robe and put it on ourselves. We want his sandals and we want to walk around and we want to say to everybody else, well, if you wouldn't do this and you wouldn't do this and you wouldn't do that and you wouldn't do that. We come off so harsh and critical. And then we ask, why doesn't the world want to be more like the church? Who wants that? My brothers and sisters, as, as we close this morning, I, I feel very compelled given where we're at as a body, given where we're at as people, I mean, given where our country is at. I mean, the church doesn't, want to be, doesn't need to be Congress. You get that, right? We've got to change. We've got to, we, personally, we've got, to, we've got to realize that we need to be these people who are expressing the love of Jesus in humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. That we are quick to speak and Oh, sorry, we're, we're quick to listen and slow to speak and all of that. Because if we don't do it, people aren't going to want to be a part of our church. But worse, they're not going to want to be a part of any church. That's how we live with one another. So when you leave today and someone steps out and and you can feel it rising in your body that, that someone's doing something to, to aggravate you. Have forbearance. When you go to the reception area and you're going to get that piece of cake and someone jumps in front of you and takes it and it's the last one, <laughs> slow to anger. We're living with each other. Because that's who we are. We're the body of Christ. And we're the family of God. Father, in Jesus' name today, I pray your blessings over this church. God, I pray that you would help each of us to live the words of Scripture. Help our profession of faith to also be our practice of life. As hard as that may be. Give us strength. Give us recall in the moment to live these truths we've learned today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, we are going to take, play, we're going to take part in a, in a ceremony that the Christian church has been doing since Jesus was on the face of the earth. Isn't it cool that, that what we're going to do is just what Jesus did with his disciples in that upper room? I mean, we're going to do what Jesus did. I, I mean, just literally. It, it's just so cool that we can do this as people all these years later. So here's what we're going to ask you to do so that uh, we can do this uh, decently in order. I told someone be before the service, my method was, was just to say, y'all come get it. But I'm from Texas. Instead, what we're going to ask is uh, for those of you who are in the middle, if you would, if you would make your way and down the center aisles and come over here to these tables and... and uh, and find your elements. Ushers are going to come in just a moment. And help. In fact, ushers, why don't you go ahead and come on down and, and get ready to service. But you're going to come down this middle aisle. You're going to come over to these center tables if you're in the middle sections. And then you're going to, you're going to go back to your seats through those, uh, those, those aisles next to you on, the, on your right and your left. And when you get to your seat, if you would just hold the elements so we can take them together, that'd be wonderful. If you're on the exterior rows, if you would go to the outside and, and receive your elements and then uh, you're going to come out and then go back on the outside. 
So what church, let's stand together and we're just going to pray and sing. Just what, whatever comes, just come on down and receive uh, your elements these, this morning.
we have all received our elements. And from 1 Corinthians, a very familiar scripture, but it's wonderful to read and hear again. It says, For I received from the Lord what I was also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You have a piece of bread. Let's eat it together. The scriptures also tell us, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink. Let's pray. Father, you have given us this moment of blessing when we are reminded of the work that you did on the cross. Without you, Lord, we, we just don't know where we would be. But because of you, we are able to live our life to the fullest, knowing, God, that you are with us every step of the way. And Father, I pray now your blessings over this church, who are your people, and pray for this community in which these people serve, that they might be the body and blood of Jesus this next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's good to see you next week. We're going to conclude the series. Uh, the message is called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us to see how we take community and live it out, not just here in the church, but in the world. It's going to be a lot of fun together. God bless you as you go in his peace. Amen.